arguably one of the best things I can suggest to everyone in the science uh, field is to start every communication with one joke that you have that can land every time. Start with a joke. Like if it, if your name sounds weird, say it. I often start with like, I know I look 16, but like I'm twice that and I I have all this baggage and whatever. So like I have a whole skit on how young I look. I know I get like, for me, when people ask me my card at the at the grocery store, it's not asking for a card. It's like intimidation. They're just like, you're going to give me your card. So just start with a joke. Build your sympathy with the public straight up. Welcome to this new episode of Beyond the Thesis with Papa PhD. This week, I am over the moon happy to have with me Vicky Pedno. Vicky uh, is a communicator, biologist, entrepreneur, comedian, improv artist. She did her high school studies in performing arts, followed by a bachelor's degree in biology, to finally become an entrepreneur and a comedian in her spare time. Vicky is also a professional communicator and popularizer and has training in environmental psychology, communication and comedy. So Vicky, welcome. Super happy to have you here on Beyond the Thesis with Papa PhD. What I what I really like about uh the the title that that you helped me choose for for today's conversation is not only popularization but engagement. I think there's something more there uh than than popularization. And that's because, of course, uh, a lot of what you do in terms of humor and science communication has to do with subjects that kind of are needing some action from the public. So there's always a, a, a subtext of a call to action in what you do. Um, and uh, and I felt that in person when I saw you do uh, your stand-up set a few weeks ago at uh, Lundi Hihi uh, in, du during the... Uh, the week was it previous to the week of the the ACFAS Congress? Yes, or? it was just before that. Yeah, just before. So, so yeah, I, I think it's super interesting how humor can be very instrumental in uh, helping us address very tough uh, subjects and sometimes engage with audiences that are maybe not ready, maybe a little skeptic, but uh, that are not directly open to to hearing about these subjects so yeah, exactly well like it, engaging is is the, the the end of the road of of science because like if we do science not to engage people then why do it like we we study things we research um numerous subject like health subject or environmental studies or whatever and then through popularization and and communication then we can engage the public but it's it's really three three completely different sets of skills that are required throughout this process so like the process of research that's the place where i have zero skills in it i really am not interested in that uh, i read the abstract the interpretation of the results like the methodology i could never spot flaws there uh in, in unless it is in psychology related things because like then i can see there's a bias in the way that you treated the subject or whatever but like reading a thesis on the, like how you went from a a covid whatever to a vaccine i will not be the one to say you use that light that's bad for virus uh, viruses protein at the surface of their cells or whatever no but um 
on the communication and and engaging uh, end of that road, that's where I I have skills and, and experiences on that. And like, if we don't do science to communicate it and then engaging people through it, then why do it that, mm. all together? Yeah. And and so, uh, you know, we talked about uh, training uh, in uh, communication, then undergrad in biology. Of course, it, it looks like what you do today is a mix of the two. But, you know, not everyone who goes through that, uh, that path uh, has kind of a desire to go and present in front of the public. How did that appear for you? What was the, what's the background story of you becoming the the communicator that you are today yeah. uh, starting from that that path of uh, of biology and communication well i've always liked um biology and whales like for for as long as i remember sometimes i would walk in a really big space and i would count my steps and look back and say okay that's about like a sperm whale or that's about a humpback whale and then i would count the steps even more and that, that's a blue whale like she's probably that big i would like enter a a big room and ask myself because like it's okay to know how long the whales are but like how are how thick are they all are tall are large yeah so like i would check at a big big like room and say like would she fit like in 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 tallness would she touch the the roof there the so like the ceiling or whatever and I would always ask myself those questions. Imagine like if a whale would come straight up to me, like how big would she seem? And that's kind of like, yeah, it's it's kind of triggering thalassophobia. I don't know if you know that that new phobia that, that's not new, but like it's the, 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 it's being scared of everything that's in the deep water. Like to know that if you are swimming in the ocean, there's nothing under you and like big things could just reach up to you because there's no limits down there. I, I have felt that. I have felt that. So when I was, uh, when I was, so keep your, keep your idea of, of thalassophobia. When I was uh, in my undergrad, I participated in, in a, a mission. I was working in microbiology and I went to the Azores and we went. We we were in a boat, uh, and there's a few um, um, very deep trenches. Yeah. Trenches. Uh, uh, Menes Gwen is one, and the other one is anyway. There was two names of trenches that we were going to to go there. Some of there was different people in the team. I was the microbiologist. They were fishing these deep sea fishes, and I would take the stomach content and and treat it and freeze it, and I. I, I dove into the ocean at that point and it was kind of scary. So I, I have, I think I had this feeling of telesophobia of what if a, the Kraken, you know, comes up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause you never know. And, and, and it could be right under you when you, when you are at the surface, sometimes you don't see your feet depending on how the water reflects light at that time of the day. And you're just like, it, it could be right now, right under me. And that, that's that, that, that fear of like what's so big what's even bigger than this so for me whales i've been like a mix of of fear and and fascination and as long as i remember i've been fascinated by the ocean and by waves and and whales and and like big waves tsunami style whatever like that's everything that's related to the ocean uh, is just my passion so when i studied biology it was just like i I'm interested in everything related to animals, especially whales and, and the ocean. So uh, that's, of course, something I will want to study. But when I was 
looking at my skill set and where I feel on my X and where I shine, it was always in communication. So I was just like, I'm not becoming a researcher, that's for sure. But being a science communicator, like you either have to be a a star, like a celebrity, and, and then subjects come to you and then you can talk to it about, to people about that. Because you cannot just be, I'll be a communicator. People will buy my services just like that. I have nothing to do. So like uh, that's where entrepreneur lifestyle just became an obligation because I was like, if I want to live through this, I have to make my own market. And to make my own market, I have to be um, an entrepreneur. And in my past experiences, job experiences, I was seeing that I did not fit the regular, like I'm, I'm the worst employee. Like I have way way too much initiative i'm always questioning why the initiatives are not being considered i'm i'm always doing it under their back anyway so like if they say no we don't sort the things like that if it's something that will affect others i will not do it but if they say you're supposed to do something just because it's written like that no i'll do it my own way and like the, the bosses would be like can you just listen to like one one rule <laughs> one rule and i'm like no nah. I'm doing it my way. So um, I became an entrepreneur to stop that on poor employers that would have to deal with my my too much initiative and leadership um, personality. So how, how do you mix a passion and an entrepreneurial project? How, how does that happen? Uh, I think mostly every entrepreneur will answer the same thing to that. You start in entrepreneurship because of a passion and then you totally lose that passion because like you are now in the big um, mechanism of entrepreneurship life that is developing every skill set but your passion because it's required that you are an accountant uh, um, a social media professional um, and like a logistician like you are everything but a science communicator at this point you are a resource, uh, a human resources manager. You are everything but that. And and yeah, so you start with passion and then you just lose it for years and years. And then at some point you become either bigger and then you have stuff with you or you um, grow your audience so much that they bring so much money on each contract. Then you can go back to your passion because now you have the means to actually subtract like the other tasks that are required. So I'm I'm now I've been through that dark phase of five years without my passion, and now I'm back on track with with everything that I wanted to do with my life. Um, but you just kind of mix it. Like for me, it is it's been really simple because you the 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 model that I was trying to do with the nomadic whale, la baleine nomade, which is my business. Uh, it was straightforward. You just call and call schools you say that's the service that i offer do you want to receive it and then at some point they will say yes because you called too many schools and some of them have to say yes and then you sell your services to them and then that's it so i've just done that for the past five years growing the market slowly and surely and that was training about whales dolphins exactly so it's just uh i talk about the saint lawrence river and the, the animals that Live in, live in there. So like whales of the St. Lawrence River, sharks of the St. Lawrence River. We do have sharks in the St. Lawrence River. You Maybe you know uh, as you are. I know the name in French because we went with my kids. Uh, we went, we took a trip to uh, um, Le Parc du Bic and then anyway, we went, went further, uh, closer to the ocean. And so I know the name in French, Le Requin Pellerin. Yeah, the basking shark. 
Ah, there you go. I didn't know yeah. the name in English. Yeah, that it's one a, I know. It has a really big mouth and it, it swallows uh, plankton, so like it eats really microscopic thing. But it's big as a, a school bus. I think it's the second biggest shark in the world uh, after the whale shark. Whale shark that is a shark, even though it has whale and shark in the name. Um, but yeah, it's the second biggest uh, shark, and we have that in the Saint Lawrence River. But like, it's it's a t- teddy bear. Like, it's really a gentle shark. There's no no reason to be afraid of that shark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's not carnivorous. It doesn't. No, have, no, uh, not at all. No. Sharp teeth. It's a total different beast. <laughs> no, but it will trigger thalassophobia because it's really big. <laughs> it yeah, I'm sure. Goes I'm like sure. a ghost, like this. <laughs> and so, so you started with this uh, this business uh, of going to talk about what was your passion initially to to kids uh, in schools but uh today so like when i saw you when i met you you were giving you you were uh, this was a stand up evening and you you get you you had a set where you talked about uh zero waste and you were making us laugh about it but some but also think about it uh i was going to say cringe but maybe cringe is too much you know you were you were uh, like walking on this rope of making us reflect on a subject making us laugh at certain points and then think back at our habits how, what's what's that side how did that side of what you do d- develop from uh, from your other activity well like from a young age when i was talking young age let's say teen and more um when i was talking about facts about animals People were saying, that's so funny when you say that, like, it sounds like a, a stand-up comedy. You should do stand-up comedy talking about that. And and even in my conferences later on in my business and stuff, people were like, that's almost stand-up. And I was like, yeah, not exactly, because stand-up is an art and, and skill and a competence that you have to... Uh, to develop throughout the years. Uh, and then I started, like, thinking, maybe I can try to do that. Maybe people say my scientific version is so funny it's almost stand up what if i can do stand up with with science because like there's not much people doing that right now maybe in the english market a bit more but for for the french market it's not something really um developed and and uh enlarged in the population that there's not much comedian doing that so i w- i wanted to try that and and what is like crucial with uh talking about the environment or science is that people already have opinions on that subject they already have emotions related to that subject so you have to thread lightly like you have to think about how you're gonna um work the subject and there are many parallels that you can do between comedy and the environment in general because like in comedy you have to pay attention to how you are positioning the public with you when you work on subjects so like there's a a regular um notion in comedy that if you uh do a joke you have to punch up so like you have to punch a person that are more privileged than you in a society or whatever if you do a punch down it has to be so obvious that it's not your position your real position that like it will fall in the absurdity of of how you could not take that position for real like if you punch down on kids having cancer saying that they just want the attention like of course you're you're way out in the absurdity nobody thinks that for real so like maybe that's a punch down that you can try to work on but you're gonna lose 
some of the public sympathy at your um uh, uh, towards you so like it, you're gonna lose some that's for sure but most of the public will understand what you were trying to do there but like for me if i was to go and do a joke like straight up on cancer kid like that that would be just a punch down like they, there are kids they're younger than me they are ill like there is not the public is gonna do that's not funny like you're just you're just being mean to someone um and it's the same in, in, in the environmental subject because like if I am just being mean to the person listening to me and I'm say if I'm saying something like, can you imagine people are so stupid they put like boots in the recycle bin and the person was like, I, I thought it was supposed to go in the recycling bin. She's going to feel like I'm being mean to her because I'm saying people are just so stupid thinking about that. So you have to always think what is the public feeling regarding the the subject that I'm treating right now and how can I make them feel that they are uh, intelligent enough to understand what I'm saying that they are on my side that we are the same them and me even if um, I'm a pro in the environment and field I feel the same way as they do and that's what I do with my comedy in in regarding zero waste I'm just saying the first thing I'm saying in zero waste comedy is like I hate that movement I don't hate the principle. I hate the name. Like zero waste, nobody can do that. When you try to take a word that is so impossible to reach, zero waste, it's just, it's not engaging. People will not follow you in a name that is so stupid. Um, we would never see that in other contexts. Like we would never see a TV reality called zero stupidity. Like that would be, <laughs> that would be impossible to reach. So like, don't call it that name because people are not going to listen to it. They're going to feel it's stupid. So like that's, that's what I'm trying to do is just like get people on my side. We're on the same side. I hate that name zero waste. Like I've, I, the movement has been too popular and, and some of that movement is not related to my reality in the, the day to day life. So like I'm on that with you and people feel engaged because they feel that we are talking the same language. So there's a, an exercise from what I'm getting. There's an exercise of empathy there of, of, okay, I believe this. I have this information that I've learned because I'm interested, because maybe it's a subject that I'm anxious about and that I need to to you know to read about every day, but not everyone has. And because you have this empathy, you have this uh you, you start the process of writing your content thinking uh thinking of okay, there's a whole gamut of people and I, I want to establish a commonality with all of them. Or with as m as many as possible, I will have to forget all I know uh, and and forget the let's say the the um, best case scenario that I can you know push through all the messaging that I'd want to and say okay what are three uh, let's say ideas that I can push through what are things that can stigmatize people because it you know I might like you say I might be punching down. I find it really interesting. There's, there seems to me that there's a lot, uh, there's a lot of work of um, some introspection, but uh, but empathy in exactly in, well in doing this work. The thing you said is like textbook. What I'm working when I offer trainings or or um, when I have learning sessions with different person that hire my services. That's the the first thing that we talk about is what you said. The best case scenario. That's not going to happen. Like if you are trying to push a message. Always to reach your best case scenario. First, you're not going to talk to everyone about that. If you, there's no compromise in your message, you're not going to reach the general public because the general public is not you. It's they're, they're not in your head. They don't have your knowledge and they have their own opinion. 
and their own realities. So compromising what your expectation of your message is, is one of the first step. And then compromising in how you translate that into knowledge. Because like we have to cut corners. When you are working in message, you have to make sure okay, maybe it, it won't be perfect, but it's, it, there's this, um, there's this famous quote. It's better than to have like a million person doing it imperfectly than one person doing it perfectly. So that's the ma- the same thing in, in communication and engaging population better off trying to pass a message that is partly incorrect or too shortcut in some places, but that is efficient and goes to the point and engage population. Um, it's, it's the first step that you have to check your message, make sure that you are speaking at this time, taking uh, like taking time to transmit a message. You you are doing that because you want it to be received in the public. If you don't transmit it in the way that it will be taken and received and and like felt by the public, then why are you speaking at all? Better mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. better just continue thinking then. And, and it's, it's super interesting what you're saying, and it, it brings me back. It brings me back to what you said about zero. You know, zero waste, and how to use zero. It's like infinite, right? It's it's uh, almost it's unattainable. Uh, actually, in this in this context, it is unattainable. I think it's aspirational. But if, so these subjects, let's say zero waste. Let's say climate change. Uh, there are, you know, it's, there are, these are subjects that are very divisive in our society today. And there's some people in the extremes, but then there's also, there's also people in the middle. Uh, and it's really difficult to go and try and change the mind of people's, people who are in the extremes. But then in the people who are in the middle, sometimes they're just not attuned. You know, it, they're, they, they might be, uh, it's not part of their daily concerns. How do you reach, how do you create this common ground and this kind of safe space for everyone to laugh about it a little bit and reflect about it a little bit, given that there's this potential for, you know, for uh, divisiveness and uh, people shutting you down if you go the wrong way? Yeah, exactly. Well, um, the way I see it, the best way to um, to make people feel feel like they are connecting to your message is to speak their language and speak their reality. So when I take position through my comedy or even through any means of communication that I use is that I put myself in their places. Like I've walked your shoes. I know where you're at and your reality is the same as mine. And and it's never through, like it's never true. Most of the opinions I transmit on stage are far from my, my real opinion most of my real opinions are either really left or really right on on the political spectrum because like i'm much more uh economically on the right side like i think really individual persons should have their own responsibility and whatever but um on the 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 environmental things i'm more on the left side so like when i speak i just tell myself what what are what are the concerns of the person in front of me right now? They are probably thinking that the message is confusing in environment. They are probably thinking that it's um, it's there's too much expected of them in what it is vehiculated in the different media. Like you're supposed to take care 
of your sleep, of your health, walking, taking care of your kids, um, drinking your water, checking your fats and your food. Like there's so many things expected of any of us any day. So if the environment has to become an, uh, another like heavyweightness on, on your life, it you're not going to do it. So what I do is try to um, make the public feel empowered by the message, like know that you have power, but know that the power, the most power you have is to make sure that corporation change, that that's your most power that you have is to make sure with your money that you let them know that they have to change, that that's the, that's the reach that you have, like don't focus on using a metal straw focus on making sure that the money that you're putting is uh, conveying the message that you want to convey with it and most of the time i'm i'm really team people because i think it should not be in the hands of a poor single mother to carry the weight of the decision of nestle company like nestle want to privatize water that's on them that's not that should not be on me it should not be on me to boycott, like to stop using a, a company or to think about that. Go to Walmart and then think, I cannot buy them because they do that to people. I cannot buy them because they do that to the environment. Like, I think it should be their responsibility and our responsibility just to let them know our opinion on that. So that's what I'm trying to convey in the environmental uh, comedy that I do. And, and that's why I underline those injustice like i i try to make them know i know you feel it's ridiculous to drink in a, a paper straw like i feel you that's ridiculous that it's what is asked of you day to day um considering everybody on the cop 20 went by jet like how how is my paper straw the the issue here and i underline those inequalities and then i put them on my side because like i'm on your side i think it's the the jet fuel the problem i think it's the big the big corporation the problem but um nevertheless we have to let them know and that's knowledge so you have to know what to let them know <laughs> and, and so these are very difficult uh, uh subjects like i said because they affect people's day-to-day -day. like you said people who have other worries you know feeding the kids uh like so many other things to to worry about um And and my curiosity now is how does humor? Why is humor a good tool to pass some of these messages? What is it about humor that that makes it work? That that makes people engage? When let's say if there's just a you know a normal radio uh, uh, a, a normal radio article or whatever or, or uh, segment they'll just tune out and, and change and listen to music. What is it about humor that has this kind of magical uh, properties of, of getting people to listen and engage? Well, there are two things. So I'm going to state the two things before going through the explanation. Um, humor allows us to um, alleviate the emotional weight of sub certain subjects. Uh, that's the first. I'll come back to that later. But um, It has been uh, many times proven by many articles that I can uh, follow you on, on the website or whatever, that the use of comedy in education and pedagogical um, context is really good to first stimulate the person 
to catch back their attention. So like when you are speaking really monotonously or or even if you're speaking dynamically, the subject that you are conveying are really serious. They are um, learning. Uh, they, they are trying to learn something. So everything that you're saying is like knowledge and, and heavy Data stuff. Data heavy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And then when you trigger um, the spark of humor, their attention gets back to like, oh, that was surprising. Like it creates a uh, surprise effect. It's the the main thing in, in comedy, it's the surprise effect. Like a joke is funny because you were not expecting the person to say that. Like if you are expecting the joke, it's never going to be funny. Like well, 100% of the time, you can try it. Sometimes I say, um, uh, I will start a sentence in, in a comedy bit and I will like, there's a, a French joke because the name of the sperm whale in French is cachalot and it sounds like hide in the water. Like it's it's as if the, the whale would be called in English the hide in the water whale. So like when I say, oh, where does the, 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 the whale hide? And then the person, before I close my sentence, they are, it hides in the water because it's the name of the whale. Um so when people finish your jokes like this, it's not a good joke. Like I just say it because I like to make the dad joke of it. Like I know it's not a good joke. It's just, it's my my style. But um, you have to create surprise. And when you use comedy in educational context to create surprise, it's going to catch back the, uh, the, the audience attention. Um, and one other thing is like, it has been demonstrated also that when the person is trying to learn something, they have to create new neuronal connections in their brain and associate different parts of their brain with new information coming in. And the use of comedy allows like benefits or enhance, enhances that capacity of creating new connection. Um, to which extent, I don't know exactly because we'd have to read the articles to make sure like is it like 1%, 20%? I don't know. But like it it does get better learning with comedy and more and more teachers and professors have uh, like they have, I don't know, formation or, or learning skits about how to use comedy in their context of educational purposes because it allows the, the students to engage more with the the learning, the academical content that they are trying to convey. Um, and the second part was related to the emotions because the environment, especially, or any health-related subjects like um, COVID, for example, but like ob- obesity or, or um, ways to run your life that would impact your health later on. Those are sensible subjects. Uh, educating kids is a sensible, like kids psychology. So if you tell parents you should not say that or do that, it's sensible, like straight up, of course just like the environment. And those subjects are related to emotions. The, the people that you are talking to already have their opinion, their emotions related to that subject. They're coming with their own experience of that subject. And when you are walking on that tightrope of trying to convey messages, you're going to be confronted to what they are actually experiencing in that subject. So the use of comedy will kind of... Um, diffuse uh, the the emotions already in that person so like just like us when you are fighting with a your girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever um and and the tension is is there you're mad you you are crying maybe or whatever as soon as a joke comes up like if the dog does something funny or the person says a joke it's gonna diffuse right away you're gonna feel the tension coming down and that's the same thing with comedy and and the environment because 
I know I'm talking a heavy subject. You have your opinions on that. And if I make you laugh straight up with some other things or just like on my my number on um, food waste, I say that celeries, the, the veggies, they, they are in the, the top drawer and they always change themselves into a poutine sauce, like brown sauce. Like, and I say that and I'm like, oh, yours do that too. Your celeries too. They are slowly transforming, like changing themselves. And it, of course that joke is written in French. So it's way better in French. But like, um, uh, when I say that it's not related to in the environment yet, but they, they laugh still. So they are a bit more relaxed and apt to hear the rest of what I'm saying re regarding the environment. So, um, yeah, the use of comedy can diffuse and, and alleviate some emotions regarding a, a tough subject yeah mm -hmm. i like it so there's these these two aspects like you said so the emotional aspect of of um making the conversation possible because the tension went down but then there's also the the kind of i guess physiological neuro neurological aspect of humor makes makes things more memorable that you can you're you're able to retain more if there's an emotion attached to it and that i think that's well known but of course it will you'll tell me if you have some articles that i can share in the yeah community. it's really it's it's cool it's and it's quite recent and it's a a literature study like a review of literature so like it's not one article it's a bunch of them yeah. now one thing I wanted to uh, ask you is, when I saw you, we were at the, this evening and there was a, a bunch of graduate students who were having their, maybe not all of them, not their first time stand-up experience, but they had this training and they were, you know, giving their stand-up in, in different ones. One I remember was talking about the reality of uh, being a postdoc and and uh, uh, and it was it was really funny because... You know when you say it's funny because it's true, <laughs> that, that was that was uh, the part of, of why it was funny. But um, my question to you is, what is advice that you can share with listeners, uh, listeners of Beyond the Thesis, who think how can this be useful to my, you know, to my life as a young researcher? How can I? What's something that I can use in uh, my communications that that is that comes from humor? Uh, but that I can still use in, let's say, a serious scientific context? Yeah. The first thing is to really connect every time that you're going to talk to the mission of why you are talking right now. Um, so right now I'm doing this interview. Before we did it, I was wondering, like I, I was revisiting in myself, why, what do I want to convey with that interview? What is my goal? Um, if your goal is because you're being forced to talk and, and just you have to present your thing, then it's kind of less of a, a worry for you whether you're going to be funny or not because you're not going to ever say that again. So what's the use? But um, the use of comedy makes you better every time you speak. The use of comedy makes you more at ease with your communication. You feel more confident straight up when you are funny. Like the, the one... Uh, arguably one of the best things I can suggest to everyone in the science uh, field is to start every communication with one joke that you have that can land every time. You can act as if you were dropping your bottle of water or whatever and then just say a joke on that. You can invent it. You can 
create the moment. But if you can land the joke in the first 20 seconds of your communication, you're going to catch the sympathy of the public. And then it's going to be easier for you for the rest of the presentation because they already like you a bit more, just a bit. But that's that's how comedy works. It makes you do like this with the love of the public. Every time you land the good joke, you crank in your sympathy and empathy regarding them. When I offer my my training sessions about how to use comedy in scientific purposes, I always do that. I always say, start with a joke. Like if it, if your name sounds weird, say it. I often start with like, I know I look 16, but like I'm 30, I'm, the, I'm twice that. And I, I have all this baggage and whatever. So like, I have a whole skit on how young I look. I know I've get like, for me, when people ask me my card at the, at the grocery store, it's not asking for a card. It's like intimidation. They're just like, you're going to give me your card. Cause like <laughs> I have a bus coming. Like, every time I buy alcohol, it's the same thing. So anyway, so just start with a joke, make your, build your sympathy with the public straight up. That would be a, my first thing. And then there are some really easy uh, ways to incorporate some comedy in your presentation. There are really easy um, little comic effects. Um, I will talk about the, the the different books and everything just in a second. But like one of the easiest one is the the rule of three. So every time you enumerate something, you can add a, a spice of surprise by saying something out of the ordinary for the third enumeration that you're doing. So like we are doing the podcast right now. I could say we're going to do it in French and English and then in unicorn. And you're just like, unicorn is not a language. Haha. <laughs> like, and it creates a sense of surprise. And it's easy because a rule of three like this can be sometimes so absurd that it, of course what you're saying is is a joke. Like nobody is going to think you're actually going to do that in unicorn. Um it's really easy. It just sparks interest, sparks surprise, and the public gains back its its attention. There are some exaggeration that you can use uh, that can be obvious. Some humoristic processes don't mix well with science because, like, if you go on the irony, let's say you use irony, sometimes it's just going to come off as either you are a bit sour regarding your research or they're not going to catch it's a joke. So, like, if you say... I don't know. I got those results. Of course, they are a bit sketchy. You're like, okay, are they supposed to be sketchy? Or are you just sour that they are? Or, okay, that was just a joke. Okay, we didn't catch that. We thought it was a bit sketchy. So yeah, the, those jokes can land um, easily sometimes and some process don't fit well. Uh, a process that I think is really always funny because it's it can never be true is in personification. So when you, uh, I'll take the same example I took in French with cooking. Let's say you are cooking and you want to make a joke about it, but we could be cooking in a, in a weird place that would be probably, um, absurdity or whatever. You could be cooking really exaggerate the way that we cook, you know, those, um, those ASMR videos of people yes. cooking and they're cooking like so slowly and like everything scratches softly that that's exaggerating. Like nobody cooks like that in the real life. Of course, it's it's suiting to cook for some, but never that suiting. Come on, like that's that's like your porn. I don't know what it is, but like it's not. It's ASMR. So that would be not maybe the funniest way to present cooking. But imagine if your cooking tools were persons, then your 
your anti-adhesive uh, pan would be like, okay, yeah, you're really putting a knife again on me? Come on. Like, I've told you many times. I hate that. And then the, the salt would be like, yeah, shake me. Yes, yes, I like to be shaken. Yes, more and more. Oh, come on, just that salt. And then the things you are using are persons. That's uh, most of the time you can do a comic effect with that. And nobody is going to think that your Erlen Mayer was really talking to you. Even if in, you're in the most top science tier uh, thing if you say I use Marilyn Mayer so so much that she said like maybe we were engaging too much and she wanted to take take things slowly like that's gonna land even in a scientific context because like we know you haven't developed a relationship with, with your Ellen Mayer like so uh, yeah that would be some comical effect that you can include in your in your science I, I like them. I like them in the F. Of course, yeah, they, they would work. Or your pipette or whatever. I'm just thinking of my of my experience. Yeah, I would uh, I would be able to to do some yeah. of those. Imagine well, falling yeah. in love with your pipette and she's just like, when are you coming back? And she's writing you on your cell phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. That that memories, memories. Uh in any in any case, one one thing that I just before we go in and because I know you have you have actually some um reading to share to help people with this. Um, there's two things. Uh, I'd like you to uh, first share where people, where is it that people can reach out to you? Uh, for people who are watching, there's there's some information going, you know, scrolling at the bottom of the screen. But for people who are only listening, what's the best place to reach out to you if they're interested in humor, if they're interested in your projects? Where where did they find you? Where is the the best way to find what you offer? Let's say in terms of of coaching, training, etc. Yeah, well, um, for everything that is related to my skills, let's say you need to um, talk about some subjects that are heavy, and you want to have some advice, or you want to hire me as a consultant or as a content creator. Like when it's related to using my skills whether you want to learn from it or use it for yourself, then it would be on the website biolovic.com. So biolovic is just like biologic, but with V-I-K, because that's my name. Um, so biolovic would be a good uh, place to go if you are really interested in using or engaging with my skills. But if you want to just consume what I do and see how I talk about the environment and and feel the grasp of the use of comedy that I I put in my social media, then it would be on TikTok or Facebook. Most of the time I post it first on TikTok because I have a bigger audience there. And then I post it back on the other platforms after. Um, so if you want to be first, you can go on TikTok. But if you just want to see the content, then go on every platform, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, everything goes. Um, it's always Biolovic, the same alias everywhere. So B-I-O-L-O-V. V-I-K. Um, so yeah, everyone can go on, on those platforms to engage with the content I create. So if you want to reach out uh, to, to Vicky, the links are there. Again, Biolovic is uh, the, the alias everywhere. If you look for Vicky Pedno uh, on LinkedIn, she's there too. And uh, she's, she's really nice, really easy to talk to. So if you have some questions for her, don't hesitate. Now, based on what we were talking about just before and what you were saying, and uh, and having heard you know some of these shows like uh, Suze Kut, uh with Mike Ward and and having been at uh, at uh, Le Bordel and, and spending an evening there and laughing laughing uh, anyway laughing my ass off yeah. <laughs> with, with some people I my question is the following so 
professional comedians they they practice they test their jokes on audiences in these small venues is this the, something also that if you're trying to start as a comedian or trying to start including humor in what you do in your communications is it something that you recommend to test it out on smaller and closer uh, uh, audiences before putting it out there in the in the public yeah well if um if the joke is the main issue of your well there there are two ways to answer that if the joke is the main purpose of your communication then yes you should always test it you should always try and test comedic processes straight up on stand up in um comedy clubs and stuff like that because like if your goal is to be funny that that's like a muscle you have to train it you have to become funny you can um get better with those skills but like you have to practice it um but if your goal is only to add some humor to your regular presentation and it, the joke is never the center of the process of what you're doing like you're not creating content to be funny you're creating content and then you include some funniness in it um that's a different process and maybe you can just read on on some subject like there's a really good book how to write funny by scott dickers um and there's three books of that how to write funny how to write funnier and how to write funniest those are like the, the steps to um get more and more funny of course um the the comic processes are really well explained in that there's many examples of every time he, he basically tells you how to write jokes so how to make them the best jokes that you can do and and the processes to to get there and you said it before the l'école nationale de l'humour the the comedian national school in quebec um is one of the best schools to learn comedy in canada so you can go there take classes at night you can just take one class it's like it's not expensive and then you get to write with other people try their joke on them they're a good public they're used to um people that are not so good with humor still um but really you have to ask yourself first is comedy the purpose of my communication or just a tool that's different how you treat it and if you create content let's say you're like oh no i just want to talk about uh, plants on tiktok and make people engage a bit more with plants if you're not doing it with comedy you're one in one million like the You can try that, but that's just playing lottery. Like maybe you're gonna get popular. Most of the time, you're not gonna get popular. It's like with your podcast. Like you have created that thing, and and you've worked hard. You're persevered, and you have mastered that skill over time. And you've included efforts into that, so now it's popular. And it's the same with comedy. Like if you just go there thinking your things will just fall and be funny on the first time, no, it's it's a work in progress. And if it actually gets po funny and popular like that you're, it's just the lottery you just won the lottery that's it there's no skills in what you've done it's just a chance yeah there's luck a luck aspect to it so so what the message so let's we're really getting to the end of the interview here so let's start with what you just said if humor is what you want to focus on You'll need to work at it you can't you you can't have this luck of having this one thing you create be become viral which is the term that now we use but it's you know to to do it consistently and make it a job takes work effort and i imagine constant uh improvement and constant uh practice 
that that's what I get from from what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. And like for me, I I'm not looking to be a comedian. I'm looking to have a standard of humor and comedy that is up to comedians to include it in my communication about the environment to make sure the message goes further. So like my only goal here is to be a better environmental communicator. That's it. So I use comedy to that extent, but like I had to get good at comedy first. Like you have to get good in order to to make sure it will serve your purpose. And to get good at it, you have to do it. So Yeah, because the the I imagine that if you're if you fall flat in front of an audience that you want to give a message to, uh, it can really make it harder. That hour that's coming up can be really difficult if you <laughs> if you uh, if you didn't if you don't work at it first and make sure that that at least you know in a certain percentage of the audience is going to to laugh with your joke. <laughs> exactly, and if you create content on social media and you're just like, oh yeah, I just want people to know that. If it's not funny, people are not going to share it. Like people on social media, they want to release, they want easiness, they want um they want to laugh they want to be distracted or uh, like amused entertained yeah so like it, you have to get funny if you want to show your message of course yeah Vicky, like I said, we're really getting to the end of the interview. I really, I really enjoyed this. One other thing that I think is important for young researchers is that if you want to make science communication and and uh, um, yeah, and science popularization your your job, you know, your your professional activity, you're going to have to work at it too, uh, and you you're going to have to to follow some uh, some uh, standard steps including uh you know making creating a business plan doing market research etc we we didn't go into all that detail but uh it seems that that uh, you Vicky did go through all of that and that uh it's something that is necessary to to launch on a on a on entrepreneurial endeavor so uh again you really need to reflect on whether you want to make this something uh Uh, that is a job and that is long term but like you said also you can just develop it and work on it as part of the other things you do and that's another ball game um but um like you said also at the end of the conversation there are some rules there are some techniques there are some strategies that, that are well known there are in books like the ones that you mentioned um and uh um that you can learn you know we're we we like science we like to learn we have you know you, we have these passions for you it was whales and and their and all their cousins <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh, uh and you know it's it's something that you can learn but make sure to prepare the same way you, you need to prepare to to do give a seminar well if you want to start including humor in your in your content do some homework and uh and then and then uh you you'll be uh, safer starting to to use it that that's kind of the feeling i get do, do you have a do you have a last word of inspiration for anyone that are that is now in science and and is kind of maybe afraid of giving first steps to um yeah. to, tr to try themselves at humor in the science space well I guess like the basis of science is curiosity. So like you just engage through curiosity in science. So just engage with comedy in a way to connect with the public. Just see it as 
I'm just reaching to my public a bit. I can do just one joke um, and just slowly connecting with that public will get you more confidence and they will get more confidence in your message as well. So like, just, just see it as I do this big thesis on something, but it all started with curiosity. So like, I'm not, I can end up being a comedian, but first thing is just to engage with the public a bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it. And I, I, I love this, uh, that you brought up curiosity because I do feel that, you know, I'm with the, the podcast, the, the community that, listens to it are of mostly graduate students uh, and, and young researchers and and we were talking during the conversation about finding a common ground with our audience and i do think that curiosity is like a, a large you know a common ground that unites a lot of us or if not all of us who who are curious scientifically about something um whether we did grad school or not in your case you 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 studied biology you had this passion of uh, about whales and uh, and i'm sure you're still curious about it and you kind of want to transmit this curiosity to kids uh and then you've got interested in in climate and you want to transmit uh some of that to to the audience and and maybe shift shift some behaviors and um i think yes curiosity uh, curiosity about the other person you know a lot of a lot of this division that I mentioned when we were talking about climate is based so, so often on the fact that people are uh, in this echo chamber and they don't have this curiosity of of the people who are outside the echo chamber. And I feel that when someone comes to one of your shows and listens to one to your set to one of your sets, it kind of opens up to the their curiosity of maybe I can maybe I can open my window and look outside a little bit and 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 widen my my bubble a little bit more a little bit more and eventually hopefully that people change inspired by by that yeah so, uh, exactly it's really it's it's a really pretty way to sum it up yeah <laughs> vicky this has been great uh i think uh I'll, i'll see if i can try using humor a little bit more in my communications uh i have a personal challenge which is i want to be able to to tell first year uh, graduate students to think about 10 six 10 years from where they are and it's tough because they just arrived and they feel that i arrived i'm here in graduate school and here's this guy telling me okay you're in graduate school but you should worry a little bit and and work a little bit at uh at you know networking and preparing your professional like you said because you said that in your personality one of the things in your personality is you're always you're always thinking of the next step you know you're always a forward thinker and i'm having a hard time with that let's see if with humor i can i can help that conversation start i'll i'll, I'll see if i can use some of your advice to to help me with that yeah of course well people like they sometimes they are saying even if, when they are like 15 years old i want to be that later on so like just do that all the time just continue to ask yourself what you want to be in six years even if you're 32 mm. We should we should continue actually asking that question to people. Like we should yeah, reach out. What do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah, even if you're like 40. <laughs> exactly. What do you want to be in, in when you grow up? And you're just like, what? Well, in 10 years, what do you want to be? Not do be. Like, be. Yeah, I love it. Wow, mm-hmm. it's a great a great point a great place to end the interview. Vicky, uh, this was really pleasant. Uh, I I really I really had a good time 
um, talking with you. We didn't we didn't tell a joke. We, well, you you mentioned some sample <laughs> pseudo jokes during, but um, I really find this interesting. I think it's a great way to um, to also play with your content and with what you do because sometimes it gets too serious. And uh, I think it's another way to for people who are, uh, you know, who are like with this tunnel vision of putting out articles and, prepare, and and presenting posters to spice it up a little bit. Exactly. And, and, Just and like the Joker said, why so serious? <laughs> why so serious? <laughs> awesome. Vicky, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for all the insights you brought. Uh, what you do is inspiring and it makes people laugh and uh, and it's it's awesome. So thank you so much for sharing uh, sharing that with the Papa PhD audience. Today. <laughs> yeah, thank you for the good words. Thank you for listening to another episode of Beyond the Thesis with Papa PhD. If this conversation has helped you somehow, if you know someone who has a great story to share on the show, or if you yourself have a story you'd like to share with me on Beyond the Thesis, send me a note to listener at papaphd.com. I'm always happy to connect with listeners like you. If you want to support me in creating the podcast in any other way, you can go to papaphd.com forward slash support and choose whichever way works best for you. I am David Mendez. See you next week.